Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Yankee Stadium in New York. It's the New York Yankees 10, the Cleveland Guardians 2. Oof, bad series. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And frankly, there was not much enjoyable about that game yesterday. I did not enjoy watching the actual game on the field. That was a pretty rough one from the Guardians. And I don't know if their emotions, you know, had an emotional hangover from everything that went down Saturday. I don't know if just playing in New York was a little too big for them. I mean, Yankee Stadium does come with some prestige, some allure. I I don't know, but they did not have a good series. I mean, they they got swept by the Yankees. What are you going to say? They... They surprisingly only fought back to second place in the American League Central Division. The Minnesota Twins are actually in first place now at 8-8. Eight and eight. Your Guardians are in second place at 7-8. and eight. The White Sox are on a seven-game losing streak. So if you think things feel bad being swept by the Yankees, seven-game losing streak for the White Sox. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like the, you know, it's not like the world's ended for the Guardians. They got swept in a series again, but... You know, they're going to go out to a West Coast swing now. You never know what's going to happen out there. So they could bounce back against the Angels. The Angels are a very hard team to read because they should they should be one of the best teams in the American League with as much talent as they have out there offensively, um, you know, let alone with Trout and Otani. But they just never seem to put it put it together, do they? They always seem to struggle on the pitching side. So we'll see what happens out there. See if we can reverse our fortunes, reverse our luck a little bit, and get back on the winning side of things. All right. The actual game storylines from this game. Do you want? Do you want me to go through how how much the Yankees hitters beat up on the Guardians pitching? Mostly Aaron Savali and Kirk McCarty. Uh, by the way, McCarty getting his major league debut. So hey, there's always a silver lining to a blowout and. That means a guy can come in and uh, a guy who's here as an injury replacement or a sickness replacement, or sometimes it's a, you know, a paternity leave or something like that. Uh, guy gets a major league debut and it doesn't go well. He gives up two, two run home runs. He does strike out three. So hopefully when he went to bed last night, he was thinking about those strikeouts and not those two home runs he gave up. I mean, at that point, the game was already out of hand. No one's, no one cares. Um, so yeah, so McCarty, congratulations on your debut. Uh, but yeah, do you want me to go, you know, hit by hit as the Yankees beat up on the Guardians? I don't feel like that's a productive use of our time. There were some strange plays defensively from the Guardians. I mean, Oscar Mercado overruns a ball. I think it was off LeMayhew's bat in right field that I have no idea what was going through his head out there. What what was happening out there? Because Mercado is generally reliable on defense. I mean, he does know how to make the nice, spectacular sliding catch or diving catch when necessary. But he's he's fast. He's he's quick to the ball. He takes good angles. Like I, of all the outfielders out there, I really do trust Mercado's glove. And he took a I, he. I don't know what happened. He did not read it off the bat. He thought this thing was more in the gap than it was, and he just completely overruns it. It looks like something you would see. In old man softball on Sunday mornings. I 
no idea what happened on that one. Maybe sun was in his eyes. I, I don't know. And then there's a play with the bases loaded where Miles Straw comes charging in for a pop-up. Jimenez goes back from second base. Straw calls him off, but then the ball falls in front of him. Now, the Yankees, and on the highlights, when I was watching it back this morning, they had the Yankees announcers on there. Sometimes if you watch the full game highlights, they'll bounce back and forth between the different TV broadcasts, the different radio broadcasts, depending on the play. And so I didn't hear the Guardians broadcasters and what they thought of this play. But to me, it looked like Straw let the ball fall on purpose, thinking that he could get a double play out of it. But that's not how it works out. I mean, it's bases loaded. There's less than two outs. So the run comes in to score. They do get the force out at second base, but that's it. He would have been better off catching the ball because then no runners could advance. Instead, he lets it fall and he gives up a run, which was weird. If you get a double play out of it, I see kind of what you were trying to do. But you got to be able to get that double play. And the runners were smart enough to advance and protect against that. I mean, frankly, I'm shocked that the infield fly roll wasn't called. Because that's what the infield fly roll is designed to do. It's designed for you to prevent those runners from being in a situ- in a no-win no situation where they're going to get into a double play. It's first and second or bases loaded, less than two outs. That's when the infield fly roll comes into effect. I thought it was if an infielder could range back and get it, the infield fly roll would still be in effect. But because Straw took the ball, maybe that negates, you know, because he called off Jimenez, that negates the infield fly roll. All right, so... Some weird defensive plays led to a bunch of Yankees runs. I mean, they were just pounding the ball. They had one, two, three, four, five doubles, uh, plus three home runs on the day, including Anthony Rizzo, who goes down and gets a curveball below the strike zone that I saw. There's a Twitter account out there called Would It Dong or something like that, and it basically is, would that ball be a home run at all 30 Major League Parks? And they reported back that, no, it would only have been a home run at three Major League Parks. Frankly, me and my brother could not put our heads together to think what three parks that would have been. Uh, what two parks besides Yankee Stadium? Maybe maybe right field in uh, Boston because they have such a sh- low wall. And I don't, I don't know what the other one would be. Baltimore, maybe? I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, Rizzo goes down. He does hit it hard. He hits it over 100 mile per hour exit velocity. So, you do give him credit for hitting a rope on a curve ball that was below the knees. But he really goes down to get this thing, really puts the pitching wedge into this thing, and gets it over that short porch. If you're calling it the short porch, it's, it's already ridiculous. Like, if you have a nickname that clearly states how ridiculous the dimensions of your field are, I don't know. New York Yankee Stadium, I'll tell you. So Rizzo does get that home run early off of Aaron Savali, and it doesn't go well for Savali. Three innings pitched, seven hits, six earned runs, one walk, and three strikeouts, plus the home run allowed. He's only hard hit five times, but that's frankly because he didn't stay in there that long on 61 pitches. Now, what is going on with Aaron Savali? If you remember last year, this guy was one of the best pitchers in the American League. When the rest of our pitching staff was down, this guy was winning games. He was 12-5 and five last year with a 3.84 ERA. Really respectable numbers last year. 
this year, what is different in three starts so far this year? Surprisingly, his Ks per nine have actually gone up. They're the highest of his entire career. I'm over here on fan graphs, and he's at 9.58 strikeouts per nine, up last year from 7.17. So yeah, the highest of his career. However, his walks are also way up, almost doubling his career high. Uh, Last year, he was at 2.24 walks per nine. Now he's up at 4.35. Walks will kill you. They will really make your day uh, hell out there. Batting average balls in play. This is a great example of when batting average balls in play comes into effect. Last year, it was at 249. That means when they were, were putting the bat on the ball, and it was staying fair in the field of play, not a home run, they would get a hit, you know, 25% of the time, 249 batting average. Now it's up to 382 bat bip. Now what does that mean? That means they might be getting a little bit lucky, and he also might be serving up a few more meatballs that are getting hit for doubles, getting hit harder. This one scares me here. For his entire career, left on base percentage. So how many runners is he able to strand on base? That's something a starting pitcher has to do. It's very hard to be perfect. It's very hard to throw a no-hitter. There are going to be men on base. What do you do once you're out of the stretch and you got to limit the damage and get out of those innings? He had always been in the 70% range for left-on-base percentage, which is good. 78.5% last year, the best of his career. This year, he is at 41.7%. Only 41.7% of the runners are getting stranded on base right now. That is terrible. That means as soon as he's out of the stretch, it turns into a crazy inning. As soon as he goes into the stretch, he's got nothing. He can't get anybody out. He's giving up hits. He's giving up runs. That's terrible. So, yeah. So, that is very worrisome over here on, uh, on fan graphs. I mean, some of the actual counting numbers look terrible, right? His ERA is at 9.58 now. Um, His FIP fielding independent pitching is up from 4.83 last year, which is actually pretty high for a guy who went 12 and 5. It's up to 5.5 now. Um, So, yeah, some of these numbers are getting pretty bad for him. Uh, Scrolling down, there's more numbers I want us to look at on fan graphs here. Um his uh, his ground ball and fly ball ratios, that is worrisome. He had always gotten 40%-ish ground ball percentage. 45% last year, the highest of his career. He's at 257 right now. Not getting ground balls at all. Last year, he was always in the 30% range for fly balls. Now he's up to 51.4% fly ball. So yeah, they are lifting the ball off him. Uh, he's not necessarily giving up as many home runs, but they're getting the ball in the air and they're driving it. Uh, they're pulling the ball more than they've ever pulled it against him before. Uh, the most was last year at 47.3. They're up to 52.8, so being more aggressive, pulling the ball against him. Uh, looking at the uh, value of his pitches, the pitch mix seems to be about the same. Same amount of fastballs, sliders, cutters, curves. Um, so that that has not changed. The value on those pitches is interesting. This is the fan graphs value. They hated his fastball last year. Uh, they have his fastball at last year at a negative 12.8 weighted value, which it means it was really bad. This year, it's still really bad at negative 2.2 so far. 
obviously with only three starts, these numbers aren't going to be as expanded as they were last year. Last year, they had his cutter at a really good pitch, a weighted value of 14.4. This year, negative 2.2. They had his curveball as a really good pitch last year, weighted value of 6.0. This year, at negative 0.5. So yeah, nothing is working. None of those pitches that were working for him last year are working for him on this season. So that's a little bit about what's going on with Aaron Savali so far to start this season, and they've got to get this guy figured out. We need Savali. This team is built on starting pitching, and if the starting pitching isn't there, if Savali and Plesak are struggling, man, it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a really long season, and I had high hopes. I thought Savali looked great this spring. He looks like he's in better shape than last year even. I don't know what's going on with him, I'll tell you that those big hits they got, going back over to uh, Baseball Savant and looking at the Illustrator, pulling up the results tab so we can see what happened in all these at-bats, the doubles that he gave up, he gave up four doubles. He did give up that big home run from Rizzo below the strike zone, which is ridiculous. He gave up a couple of singles uh, to counter Falefa and Glaber Torres, Um, but the doubles are what interests me. They're all between the belt and the letters. And he gave up two to lefties and two to righties. And both times they were inside pitches in the strike zone, inside pitches that the lefties and the righties turned on. So DJ LeMahieu turns on an inside uh, sinker that he hits for his double. That actually might have been the one he goes opposite field and uh, hits over Mercado's head. Uh, Aaron Judge also turns on an inside sinker uh, at the belt for a double. Then on the left side of the plate, Rizzo turns on an inside four-seam fastball, and he drives that thing 101.2 miles per hour for a double. And then Joey Gallo gets an inside cutter, and he hits this one down into the corner. This was after Miles Straw tried that double play, let the ball drop attempt. With runners on the corner, Gallo makes him pay, and he hits a two-run double into the right field corner. He turns on an inside pitch. So he was trying to get some things past some hitters inside, whether it was a righty or a lefty. But he was leaving these pitches in the zone between the belt and the letters. And frankly, these are just meatballs for these guys to drive. So that's a little bit more I could tell you about Aaron Savali's day. Was not good. It was not good. The only guy who pitched good yesterday was Sam Henches. Uh, for some reason, things were, are working for Sam Henches right now, and it's going to be interesting to see if he gets into any more high-leverage situations. Um, the slider was his most effective pitch, even though he only threw it four times. Uh, but when he needed it, he got a swing and a miss on it and a called strike on it. Uh, so it's a 50% CSW on that pitch. He didn't go, I mean, he only goes two innings in this game. So it's not like we have a huge sample size to work with here. He was actually working... Uh, pretty efficiently. He gets through two innings, gives up two hits, but no runs, no walks, three strikeouts for Henches, and he does it on 22 pitches. So that's, I mean, 11 pitches per inning and 15 strikes. 22 pitches, by the way, 15 strikes. So that's pretty efficient from Sam Henches on the day. Um, And yeah, if Henches can make it work as a lefty out of the bullpen, that's huge. I mean, he could be a really dominant weapon out there. 
Uh, this bullpen is definitely going to take on a different look by the end of this season, maybe in the middle of the season. If Henches continues to perform, Stefan, for some reason, Stefan didn't get into this Yankees series, which was strange. They were talking about it a little bit at the end of the broadcast, that he really wanted to pitch against his former team, and he's one of our best bullpen arms right now. And for some reason, he didn't make it into this series, which was a little bizarre. Um, so yeah, so if Henches can make it work, if, uh, Eniel De Santos can stay with the team, like if they don't do something silly and send them back down to the minors, which, you know, sometimes they're known to do silly things like that, but De Los Santos was very good striking out the two hitters that he faced yesterday. And I definitely want to see more of him in the majors. So yeah, this bullpen could have a different look. I mean, frankly, Brian Shaw's days at least in high leverage situations, might might be numbered. I mean, I don't know if Terry Francona would ever get rid of the guy. I mean, his his best buddy, Brian Shaw, but you you can't keep using him when Henches and De Los Santos are proven to be effective. Those guys should be getting the opportunities over Shaw right now. So Henches has himself a decent day out of the bullpen. And uh offensively, the Guardians do score two runs late in the game. Uh, Andres Jimenez comes up with a big, uh, two big. It was ten nothing at that point. He gives up with a two run triple in the ninth inning. Uh, I heard people on uh, Guardians Twitter were really talking up Andres Jimenez yesterday. Really excited about him. He is off to a decent start on the season. Three forty five batting average, nine forty one OPS. But frankly, it's just too small of a sample size right now. It's twenty nine at bats, uh, ten hits. I think he's. I think his numbers are boosted a little bit, held up a little bit because he's got some extra base hits. He's got a home run and he's got two triples now, and so I think that might be helping just a little bit, make his numbers look a little bit better than they actually are. If I go over to baseball, his baseball savant page, his expected batting average on this season is only two twenty six. His expected weighted on base percentage is only 251. So it's it's not like the advanced metrics thinks he's having uh, this stellar season. That's why those extra base hits, those triples and those home runs in such a small sample size do make his numbers look a little bit better than they are. He is barreling the ball more than he has in the past. He's at a 4.8% barrel percentage. His last year was at 36 he is hitting the ball a little harder than he's ever hit it. His hard hit percentage is up to 33.3 from 30.4 last year. So there are some things that are improving. All right, so I'll give him some credit there. Uh, but yeah, I think it might still be too small of a sample size. But it's great to see Andres Jimenez is having success. We want him to have success. Um, I'll tell you, his strikeout percentage is also the highest of his career right now at 29% up from 25.7. So not everything is trending in the positive direction for the young Jimenez. Remember, only 23 years old. When you're ready to kick him and Ahmed Rosario to the curb to make room for uh, Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman and anybody else coming up from the minors, remember that Andres Jimenez is 23 years old. In most situations, he'd be down in AAA with those guys. Uh, he just came up through the Mets system very quickly, and when we traded, you know, Lindor away, we needed that middle infield help. You know, we needed someone to be the heir apparent to Lindor to to fill those shoes, and Andres Jimenez was high on the list to do that. 
So it's great to see him have some success early in the season. It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, now that Owen Miller's back, are they going to have to bring Chang back from the, uh, from the COVID list? And I think they still need to bring Castro back from the COVID list. Owen Miller does come back from the COVID list in this game. I think Tanner Tully went down to make room for him. And yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how they keep Amenez's bat in the lineup, second base, shortstop. You know, where are they going to play him to keep that bat in the lineup and see if that he can hang on to that 345 batting average, that 941 OPS. Can he keep producing like that? Like those numbers show. I mean, Ahmed Rosario is struggling to start the season right now. 237 batting average, 585 OPS. He's not giving you much. Even down in the five hole, he's not giving you much. He's going to start to lose at-bats if that keeps going that direction. And, yeah, I, I know a lot of people don't think he has a future with this team. But as long as he was hitting, he did. And if he's not hitting, it's going to be really interesting to see how those at-bats with those middle infield positions get tossed around. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. It is a rough game. Garrett Cole absolutely dominated. 6.2 innings pitch, 6 and 2 thirds, 4 hits. That's it. No runs, 1 walk, 9 strikeouts. Really quickly, really quickly, let's just see what was working for Garrett Cole on the day. The four-seam fastball. Now, he didn't get a lot of swing and miss, but a ton of called strikes on this one. 14 called strikes. It's good for a 43% CSW on that four-seam fastball, which he Definitely was just relying on. I mean, it was averaging 97.2 miles per hour. He was just attacking Guardians hitters with that fastball. Where was he locating? Let's see if there was any specific spot he was locating. Looks like he was throwing it all over. He was attacking the zone with it. This isn't a situation where a guy is going, you know, high or painting the edges. There are a lot of those forcing fastballs that are right down the middle of the plate that Guardians hitters are taking for called strikes. So, uh, yeah, he was just absolutely attacking with the heat. Uh, mixing in cutter, knuckle curve, slider, and changeup. The slider was good for him, uh, 50% CSW. His total was 36% CSW on the day. So, pretty good stuff from Garrett Cole there. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Let's go out on this West Coast trip. I know it's tough, believe me. I know it is tough to stay awake. A 9.38 start. Uh, in LA tonight, Eastern time, at least for us Clevelanders. I know a lot of you listening are spread out all over the country and all over the world. So hopefully where you are, this West Coast time makes it a little bit easier to watch. I don't know. Maybe, you know, for some of our listeners in Europe, you're waking up and, and catching the game while you're having breakfast, uh, or at least the end of the game while you're having breakfast. So hopefully you get to see a little bit have you never heard, if you didn't hear the first episode, the very first episode uh, from game one of this season, I have a newborn at home, so I'm staying up to do midnight feedings anyway, so I actually think this will help me stay awake. Sometimes it's really hard to stay awake to do that midnight feeding, and uh, so having a game on is definitely going to help. Uh, so yeah, that is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I know it was a tough series. That's the beauty of baseball. We yeah, we move on to another team. Everything starts over. You get a chance to flip the momentum for yourself once again. You got your ace on the mound, Shane Bieber. That always helps turn things around. That's the job of an ace sometimes is to be a stopgap and to get the momentum back on your side. And he's definitely got his work cut out for him in this one. All right. 
Again, the final from Yankee Stadium. I gotta say it, that's how the show goes. It's the New York Yankees 10, the Cleveland Guardians 2. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Come on, we have not gotten any emails so far to start this season. Where are you at, morning people? Come on. I thought for sure you'd be all pumped up after we swept the White Sox. I thought you would be angry after we got into a fight, a literal fight with Yankees fans in the outfield. And after we got swept by the Yankees, email your thoughts in. Let me know your thoughts on the game, on the team, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.